what we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome, welcome to the Hustle Sold Separately, a weekly podcast dedicated to all of you amazing human beings who've been tuning in for the last six years, and actually quite a few of you newer ones that have been tuning in for like the last few months. It's so great to have all of you guys here. I would say we're dedicated to all of you guys, right? The creators, the entrepreneurs, the innovators, the out-of-the-box thinkers, the non-status quo type folk, uh, I always say, you know, if you're highly misunderstood, you are definitely in the right place. I get you. We get you. My guests get you. Um, you know, there's nothing conventional here. And I always say that, like, you have to find your own path to success. And for those of you that are a little bit newer, I'm Matt Goddessman. It's nice to meet you guys. Um, you know, you can always reach out to me on Instagram at Matt Goddessman. I have been answering each and every single text, DM, reply and response for eight years. It is me who answers it there at HDF Magazine or Hustle Sold Separately and all the other socials. Um, I really, really appreciate you guys. And for those of you that are newer, um, as I, the audience will always tell you, my all of you guys, the family really, I should say, um, no, I don't glamorize or glorify end success. It is not glamorous. It is often glorified, um, but it's also holistic and it's real. And who says success has to be defined by the mainstream? I always say that success is, needs to be defined by you because it's an arbitrary word and each of us are on a different path and I can't tell you what to do and I can't you know, tell you that that's how something should be. But we can have very real topics and discussions about um, you know, what we're doing in real time to figure it out. And I always say that the entrepreneurial and the creative journey should be humanized. And so I bring on incredible humans, incredible souls to talk about what are they experiencing in real time while they're building something. And we're nearly 400, about 400 episodes deep. So we have uh, come afar and I am just truly grateful for all of you guys. And we have another really great episode with Michael Sharon and Cal Fries. They're the co-founders of Taika uh, Coffee Company, which we're, we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, and um, we're going to dive into a lot of different topics. Um, we'll probably dive into it from the CPG, um, you know, uh, consumer product goods, right? Like how were, you know, both with both of their backgrounds, especially with Michael's, you know, coming from software and tech um, and really thinking through a CPG brand, it's a way different. Well, I, I wouldn't, I think there's a lot of actually similar qualities, but we're going to talk about that. Um, you know, even potentially launching um, last year during a pandemic, we're going to talk about their backgrounds. We're also going to talk about from the health proponents from about round with coffee. And I'll give you kind of a little bit of background of Taika here in a minute. Um, you know, and so, uh, I, I was telling the, the guys before we jumped on, like I'm an avid coffee person. And nowadays, you know, a lot of people are looking for healthier alternatives, um, with their coffee or how they're consuming their coffee. And so, um, just a quick background, Michael Sharon, entrepreneur, angel investor, most recently the CEO and co-founder of Taika. And Taika is a ready to drink functional plant-based coffee, perfectly balanced with adaptogens and functional mushrooms. You guys know how I feel about this. I've talked about this before. Um, and alongside his co-founder, Cal Freeze, uh, a champion barista, you know, these two can't go wrong, <laughs> no matter what, no matter whatever it takes. Um, they fused, uh, you know, the, the passion for coffee, his passion for coffee with his expertise in tech to create a perfectly calibrated coffee that prioritizes scalable hospitality through a unique texting feature. We're going to talk about that. Okay. And then prior to founding Taika, Micah was the mobile product hire and seventh product manager hired at Facebook. By the numbers, Michael helped grow mobile at Facebook from 10 million MEUs to over 1 billion DAUs, grew active pages from 20 million. We probably have a lot of questions to ask this man uh, to over 50 million and grew pages annual revenue from 600 million to over 3.5 billion. And before Facebook, Michael was co-founder and CTO at one of the earliest social location companies, Socialite, with an adjunct and an adjunct professor at NYU teaching classes in mobile application and local product design. So he's not busy at all. And Cal, uh, as the other co-founders I mentioned, he's head of product at Taika. And um, uh, he also is a chef and award-winning coffee expert. I hope so. 
And, and Cal has been ranked as one of the 10 best baristas in the world. So uh, he's to be taken serious. And his work has been featured in the New York Times, LA Times, Bloomberg, CNBC, and TechCrunch. Prior to founding Taika, Cal founded Sudden Coffee, a company, uh, a company building technology to make instant coffee that tastes delicious and freeze coffee. Co, an award-winning cafe in Helsinki, Finland. Well, you two are like perfectly matched together. Are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> it's, well, welcome to the show. I really appreciate having both of you guys here. Thanks, thanks for having us, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, incredible, incredible backgrounds. So, um, Michael, Cal, okay. I, I mentioned before the show, first question is always the same. How did we get here? I know I mentioned the, 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 the bio and it's so easy for people to get the, you know, oh yeah, okay, get it, the highlight reel, but we always know that there's a little bit more. Uh, Michael, if you would like to go first, I'd love to hear, you know, your, the, the steps that were kind of happening in like the, the aha moment where all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I want to try this, you know, that led up mm -hmm. to that. And you can go as far back as you want. I mean, some people go back to birth. It's okay. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and then Cal, you know, I'd love for you to follow. Uh, sure. I'm not going to go back to birth. I think every happens to everybody. It was definitely there at some stage, but, uh, I, I grew up in South Africa, uh, moved to the States in 2002, uh, and studied this amazing institution at NYU, this course called the uh, interactive telecommunications program, which is sort of this, this mixture of art and, uh, technology and sort of like, you know, whatever you were interested in. Um, coming out of that program, I, I started my first company, which was Socialite, which was the first like, mobile social location network. Uh, super, super fun. Learned a really, really good lesson on the value of timing. We launched in, 20, no, in 2005, two years pre-iPhone and uh, three years pre-iPhone you know, SDK API, we could actually build apps. Um, and so, you know, pivoted uh, a bunch of different times. And then in 2008, actually, uh, got a call from Facebook and they made me an offer I couldn't really refuse. I just, I looked at what they were doing, was just blown away by, by the people. It was also 5 million mobile users at the time. And I was just kind of like all mobile all the time. That's all I wanted to do. So I, I made sure that mobile was in my title when I got hired. I was the, the product manager, comma, mobile. Uh, first uh, mobile product hire, the entire team was like two engineers, myself, and um, as, as you said earlier, 7th PM overall, and sort of just jumped on that that rocket ship and um, never looked back. It was definitely probably one of the most insane experiences I'm going to have in my life, just in terms of the, the rate of growth and, and change and, and distribution, um, but it was just, it was phenomenal. And so I spent, you know, five and a half years working in mobile, and then uh, two and a half years leading the Pages product group at Facebook. Uh, and actually one of the things that, that I'm most excited about from my time on Pages is we, we try to focus a lot on building tools that democratized um, what Pages could do specifically for small businesses. And so it's, it's interesting that I find myself on the other side of this now and, and starting to use a lot of the same tools that, that my team uh, worked on back then, which was kind of fun. Um, Left Facebook mid 2016 uh, and took a break, and the sort of the the the, the pieces in uh, the journey that led me to where we are today uh, and led me to to meeting Carl um, started maybe a little bit earlier. So just about 12 years ago, uh, I did something that was revolutionary for for somebody who who'd grown up in South Africa, which was I stopped putting sugar in my tea and coffee. Uh, and sort of like where I grew up, it was like just standard, you know, some, some hot beverage, you put five spoons of sugar in it, ready to drink. And uh, I, for whatever reason, I decided that I was going to try and not do it. I was living in New York at the time, and I realized that the kind of deli coffee sludge that I was drinking was basically undrinkable without coffee. And so I gravitated towards the, the blue bottle coffee, so it was a third wave coffee options. Um, so instantly became kind of the biggest coffee snob overnight. Everybody has one in their group of friends. I was the guy who was pointing out how badly all my friends <laughs> were brewing things and what they could do to fix it very, very helpfully. Uh, and then in, fast forward a few years, I was still at Facebook. Uh, I think maybe I was, I was just about to get up pages or, or just kind of going through like a really difficult time on, on the mobile side, drinking like six or seven coffees a day mm -hmm. and just really feeling the effects of, of all of this. Um, so I went onto the internet, did some research and, and found out kind of a wealth of knowledge about these amazing compounds, amino acids, uh, functional mushrooms, adaptogens, uh, and started experimenting with a few of these. And, and this was, was sort of like a light bulb moment for me. 
it really changed my relationship with, with coffee uh, and, and with caffeine and, and allowed me to sort of like have one coffee a day and feel like the same kind of level of, of stimulation and focus as if I was continuously drinking coffees all day long, but not necessarily get a crash. So that was about eight years ago. I left Facebook in mid 2016, um, traveled around for a little while and, and tried to figure out what I was doing with my life. And then just over like two years ago, I ended up meeting Cal. Uh, and so maybe maybe I'll, I'll pause there and kind of like let Cal fill in the background from, from his journey. That's in, in, incredible. And uh, yeah, we're definitely gonna dive into, I, I've got for the most part, just my French press in the morning. But I would like to get that down even more because <laughs> it's this size, not this size. So, uh, Cal, uh, uh, amazing. I'd love to hear, you know, kind of, yeah, everything that led up to today. And you can go even further if you want now that we're we're here. But um, how, take us as far back as you would like. For sure. So I'm also also an immigrant here. So I grew up in Finland, <clears throat> in Helsinki, Finland. And, and growing up, um, being super into food and drinks ever since I was a kid. So my... Mom is a nutrition scientist teaching at the university in Helsinki, and my dad is a, a former ad man and who was a big, big foodie and used to do a lot of <clears throat> all the cooking at home. And when I was 14, I decided that I wanted to be a chef. And so I got my first job cooking at the only two Michelin star restaurant in Finland uh, while, you know, going to middle school. They didn't pay me, but I loved it. I was like the kitchen slave, essentially doing all the shittiest stuff and, and loved it. And then a year later, when I was 15, my parents wanted to take a year off and we moved to New Zealand uh, for a year. And that's where I fell in love with coffee. So the kind of crazy thing is that Finns drink the most coffee in the world per capita. And I had started drinking coffee when I was 15. I was like, okay, it's this you know, brown sludge you drink, doesn't taste great, but it keeps you up. And in New Zealand, the coffee culture was totally different. It was like much more espresso focused. There was like cafes that people hang out in, which wasn't really a thing in Finland back in like mid 2000s. And um, just kind of fell in love with that. And I was like, okay, I honestly want to be a chef. I'm actually more interested in coffee. Got back to Helsinki, uh, ended up at this like half a day barista course where I first you know, learned how to make coffee. And that's where I realized that it's actually not the machine that makes the coffee taste good but it's the person behind the machine. And that just blew my mind because until then I had, you know, thought it's the machine. Like all the places that have these big, fancy, shiny machines also had good coffee, but I just didn't realize there was so much kind of skill that went to it. And after that barista training, I had my first dream about coffee and uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess this is what I want to do. And uh, I was 16 at the time and I went to, I guess you could say like the best high school in Finland, which was great because nobody really cared if you showed up to class as long as you like pass all the all the courses and exams and like turn your work in. So I started skipping class every Tuesday and, and <laughs> working at this coffee restaurant for for coffee pay when they were like freshening, and absolutely loved it. And eventually they hired me, started paying me money, and uh, started just working while going to high school. Uh, went to Stockholm to do a summer job there when I was 18, working at a different roastery, and then started competing in barista competitions, which is like a competition where I make some espresso drinks, espresso, cappuccino, and this like signature drink. And eventually ended up winning the Finnish national championships um, in 2013 for the first time, and then again in 2015. And then once you won the national championships, uh, you got to compete in the world championships. And I got ranked uh, ninth best in the world there in 2015. And then at the age of 23, um, decided to mm. retire from my competition career. And um, at the same time, I was also running a, a coffee shop and, and doing my undergrad in food science. And I had my coffee shop for about a year and a half in Helsinki. And, and to me, coffee is really all about viewing it as a tool or a vehicle to make someone stay better. So it's something that tastes delicious, but me as a barista, it's a really cool feeling when I can see somebody coming in kind of groggy and I can use this coffee as a, as a vehicle to not just provide them a delicious drink, but also hospitality and, you know, really feel like them, make them feel like they're welcome and taken care of. And running this like tiny coffee shop that my customers loved, I was just really frustrated how unscalable it was. Like I could do that to a hundred people a day, 
And at the same time, a lot of my mm-hmm. friends were running tech companies and tech startups that were you know, scaling a lot. And I was getting really, really interested in that. And so in spring 2015, closed my cafe after about having a year and a half and started thinking of like, how can I turn coffee, basically take it from a service business to a product business and make great coffee really easy, really scalable. And so I started looking into this idea of making instant coffee that would actually taste really good. So based on my background in food science, I was like, well, this should be totally doable. Instant coffee is basically liquid coffee where you remove all the water. So what's left is, is the stuff that makes the coffee you know, look brown and taste of something. And typically the reason why instant coffee sucks is that the bigger companies that make it use really crappy coffee, mm-hmm. extract it badly and kind of, you know, just try to maximize the yield over quality. Right. And so I made some samples, you know, the right way using great coffee, brewing it well, and turns out it can actually taste really good. So then sort of long story short, end up uh, meeting a couple of investors who told that I should move to San Francisco to start the company. And they helped me do that. So I moved to San Francisco fall of 2015, started my previous company, Sutton Coffee. Found a co-founder there. We ended up going through Y Combinator as one of their first food companies, raising almost $10 million for that company. And then I jump off that spring 2017, took some time off and kind of came to the same conclusion as Michael, whereas I realized that I obviously love coffee, yet it started giving me all these side effects that I didn't really enjoy making me anxious and jittery and kind of affecting my sleep and started exploring some different options around that. And um, good friends with the guys who run Four Sigmatic, which is a pretty well-known sort of mushroom adoption company. I use it all the time. They're a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're Finns as well. And I kind of say that we're that. having this like a Finnish mushroom mafia right now. Um, <laughs> and so they kind of got me hooked into adaptogens and I realized mm-hmm. that this stuff actually works. And as kind of a food scientist, I was like very skeptical of, whether this stuff actually works, but I, I realized that it really does. And um, started working on some ideas around the space of like, how do we design a better coffee that I can consume more or, or feel better about drinking it? And um, I was chatting about it with a, with, a, with a friend and he was like, well, I just met this guy, Michael. I think you guys should meet up. And uh, Mike and I were supposed to meet up for half an hour coffee and then about four hours later we were like okay well maybe we should start exploring this together that's incredible uh that's exactly how it happens usually (laughs) you know what i mean and and that's simply like all right so what's the next step um and so um what what transpired from that conversation that we're like we know this is a big market but we know we want to do it differently as a product um and um you know, and knowing kind of, I feel like, did you know, did you already kind of have an understanding of like, there's a lot of people with the problems each of you were having and, and, you know, Cal, if you want to start and then, you know, back to Michael, but like, did you, did you guys start to kind of figure that out? Like, oh, you experienced that. I experienced this. How many more people are there that are experiencing this? You know, and did, did that lead you to really interesting data? So I think based on my experience and some kind of user interviews and just talking to a bunch of our friends, it seemed like a fair number of people were kind of having this problem yeah. or, or something around there. And so I think that made it kind of compelling. And I think we realized that it just totally changed our approach with coffee. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we started, the more we thought about it, it kind of started making sense where if you think about why most people drink coffee, it's like, you know, one of the most consumed beverage in the world, like 2 billion cups of coffee get drunk every day. Yeah. Most people drink coffee for its mm-hmm. functionality yet no one really knows how much caffeine they're consuming and caffeine is actually a very potent you know drug essentially the most widely consumed psychoactive drug in the world so first of all nobody really knows how much caffeine they're consuming and then they're consuming caffeine by itself whereas there's very strong scientific evidence showing that things like l-theanine this amino acid from green tea really helps balance caffeine and it actually works very synergistically with it so not only does it you know, reduce the crashing you might get from caffeine by itself, it actually makes caffeine work better. So caffeine improves your reaction time, caffeine and L-theanine improve improve your reaction time to even more when consumed together. So it just kind of intuitively makes sense that if coffee is like the most widely consumed kind of productivity drink, if we design a better version of that, then that seems really interesting. 
Yeah, so, so that was actually sort of where we started. Um, but where we started was from this place of testing. Yes. And um, more, than, more than testing, this was sort of like better, better testing at scale. Um, because we, we had this thing where we wanted to make a product we could drink every single day. And we were both, you know, giant coffee snobs. And so we want something that is going to taste absolutely amazing and is actually going to be, you know, actually authentically good for you. You're going to feel something with the adaptogens. But the, the problem was with third wave coffee at the time is like, it's supposed to be pure. It's all about um, the, the sort of like origin focus. And so most coffee is, is marketed to you and described as sort of this origin base. And what I mean by that, I mean by, you know, coffee is talked about where the beans come from. It's all about, you know, is it, does it come from Honduras? Does it come from Guatemala? Does it come from Ethiopia? And most people have absolutely no idea the differences <laughs> between that. So it becomes this sort of like a choose A versus B versus C. Uh, and we knew that, that for us, whatever we were doing, we wanted to be more of this like destination focused company. And it's, it's not about kind of where this comes from. It's like where the coffee can take you. How are you going to feel after drinking the coffee? Uh, and so we, we worked on this formulation. Um, and then in like January, 2019, we had sort of the first version of this that worked. I can actually show you. So, so we moved into this office recently and I dug up like one of our early samples. And so this is, uh, you know, a, a super, super early sample. We kind of did, had a totally different name. Uh, we had version numbers on the coffee from day one. Uh, we also had version numbers and code names, which is everybody knows in software engineering is the, the cardinal sin of <laughs> organizing your software engineering project. Yeah. Um, anyway, we, we started making uh, the coffee and, and put it into a can. Uh, we put kind of a label on the front. We had a phone number, which was Kel's phone number at the time. And uh, we took it to startups in San Francisco. And the idea was we were just going to beta test and see what this, what happened, see, see how it worked out. Uh, and so the, the goal, like where we started off, we were like, okay, we're going to make this perfectly calibrated coffee. This is going to be something that you drink. It's going to make you feel phenomenal and balanced and everything else. And it's just black coffee because we are just giant coffee snobs and didn't really think too much about what mainstream tastes are like. So we did this. That was the first version. Um, it, we sold out like in two weeks. It, was, it sold out really, really quickly. Um, and then we, because we had the phone number on the front, we started getting lots and lots of feedback and people were saying things like, Hey, can you make like a hazelnut flavor? Can you make something creamy and like slightly sweet and milky? And we were like, uh, okay. And so then we started working on the kind of the, the creamy versions. And so we have an oat milk latte, we have a macadamia milk latte. And as soon as we did that, it was sort of like a, a light switch went off. And so we had these things that were, you know, creamy and, and sweet, but because Cal was super into keto at this stage, uh, and I won't say I was super into keto, but I was not into putting sugar in, in my drinks. And so we sweetened with, with natural sweeteners, um, like allulose, uh, monk fruit. And then we, we took it and, and beta tested and, and, you know, they got consumed even faster. And at this stage, we realized that we hit upon a nerve. This is actually something fundamentally different. Um, we'd, we'd done something that was kind of like different to what we thought we were doing. Instead of kind of creating this perfectly calibrated coffee, instead of replacing that for people, instead what we were doing was making a better frappuccino. And we were you know, replacing that sort of like that sweet, creamy, indulgent taste uh, with something that was actually very, very different. And we took a step back, we looked at what we'd done, and we realized that what we'd made was this Trojan horse. It looked like great coffee, tasted like amazing coffee, but it was secretly much healthier than anything else out there. And this whole like secretly much healthier part uh, that stuck and that became something we call stealth health mm. and stealth health is, is really this concept of uh, taking these CPG products that people consume billions of times a day all around the world, redesigning them to be absolutely delicious and authentically good for you. And so that's, that's sort of like the broader frame, the broader mission uh, for what we want to do with the company. And um, the our first few products are, uh, coffees and coffee is actually just a phenomenal place to start because if you take a look at the number one selling ready to drink coffee in America, which is the Starbucks Frappuccino by a long shot, uh, that has 33 grams of sugar per serving in, in one of those things. And so, you know, if we were able to get somebody to just prefer our macadamia latte over the, the Starbucks Frappuccino and they drink, let's say, you know, one or two a day, they're taking 33 to 66 grams of sugar out of their diet every single day 
that alone is going to give them significant long-term health benefits. That's insane. I'm not a Starbucks fan, so uh, they'll never be a sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great. Good to to hear. (laughs) We we could be. Think about us for future. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm actually, I have your site open. I also have the shop open as well, too. (laughs) So um, so I can, uh, and by the way, brilliant idea with the phone number on the can. I mean, well, the design is stellar and I'm, I love design. I grew up around a lot of UI UX people. So like, it's just, it's just smart. It's direct and it's clear. And also, um, there's a lot, a lot that you said in there that was really interesting. The stealth health part, so vitally important to have low barriers to entry for people with a good product that for them tastes good, but is good for them. Because I think sometimes the mental, you know, you're in, if, you know, if, if, if Cal's into keto at, at one point and we're all into health and the adaptogens and all this other stuff, these are words to the general public that are like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, I just need my coffee, dude. Like, just give me my coffee. But you're right when you can be like, hey, listen, um, you want something even better tasting for coffee, but it happens to be healthy. And they go, well, what, what do you got? You know, so I love the idea that you brought down the barrier to entry for the market so it's easy for the, the, the consumer to consume it, you know what I mean? Without having to feel like they're altering their habit, you, they're just injecting a better habit in its place. And that is brilliant. <laughs> in terms of marketing, I just, I don't know what the marketing brains is on there. Uh, I can't help that part. But so I, I love that you brought that part up. Um, and, um, you know, and then also what was cool too about when you were doing the test, first of all, kudos to you for being literally in San Francisco. I can only imagine the amount of coffee consumed you know, especially within the, the tech communities just alone, but also that's like every coffee shop, like everywhere. Um, and so I loved hearing a little bit about that, but also the fact that you're like, let's diversify because we know that, you know, not everybody's just the black coffee drinker with a little bit of maybe milk and sugar or creamer or whatever. There's a lot of the people, a lot. I didn't, I didn't know that the number one consumed was a, a, a what was you say, a Frappuccino? What was it? The star, yeah, Starbucks Frappuccino is the number one ready to drink coffee in America. And, and a lot of that is distribution. It's in every yes. kind of convenience grocery store. And so it's, it's available. It's easily accessible. It's convenient. People are just going to pick it up and, and take it, not really think too much about it. Now, did you guys have, um, in, in terms of for sourcing all of the ingredients, is there like, is, I mean, you don't have to, obviously, I don't want you to ever get into the secret <laughs> that you don't want to share, but like, you know, but that, because uh, you're right, it's where do we, they want to take them to, but I feel like you probably, you're getting additional people into the market. You're getting the ones that um, have not normally been akin to this lifestyle of, oh, like, let me try it with adaptogen blend mix and mushrooms and other things that are really good for me. I'm okay with it as long as it tastes really good. But I would also assume that you get probably some spillover from, you know, the, the four sigmatic side, the, the biohackers, the, the health and wellness people that they're constantly trying to consume better coffee products. Do they, do they like to know more about, Oh, Hey, like, where'd you get these blends from? And <laughs> where do you, I mean, is that still kind of a part of, uh, of, you know, top of mind or just curious? Yeah. So I think how we think about it is essentially what we're solving for is how do we not have to compromise? Yes. Whereas I feel like living this healthy lifestyle, I kind of feel it's like tug of war always between, you know, I love pizza, like, you know, eating stuff that's like arguably or objectively not great for you. Right. And so I feel like I have to make compromises all the time and I hate making compromises. I'm like, this is dumb. Like, I think we can design a better solution here. And so that's mm. sort of a foundational like idea behind what we do is everything we make should be delicious, first and foremost, should be healthy and also efficacious. Like I basically meaning that you should feel it. Whereas I feel a lot of sort of quote unquote functional food products may have a tiny amount of like mushrooms, but you don't actually feel it. And so we wanted to design in a way where you like will definitely feel it and it almost feels like kind of with this magical portal. So Taika means magic in Finnish, which is my first language. And so we wanted to make something that feels almost like magic. It's like almost too good to be true. And we use like painstakingly sourced ingredients. <laughs> uh, and that's like super important for us. Like I, I like sort of, you know, comparing yourself to Apple is always maybe a, a stretch, but as like Steve Jobs was saying at some point, it's like, if you look inside a Mac computer, it's going to be like beautifully designed inside, even though almost no one will ever see it inside. And that's kind of our philosophy too. 
where we don't lead with the ingredients the same way as, as some brands do, and they do a lot of education around it. I think our kind of thesis is that most people don't necessarily know that, they don't necessarily care about that. I think if we can build trust that they, you know, I think ultimately the proof is in the pudding. Like if it works, if it makes you feel good, you know, that's enough for most. In terms of the ingredients, we like literally source the best stuff around. Um, in terms of the coffee, we've been working with 49th Parallel, uh, which is a phenomenal roaster based in Vancouver, BC, one of my mm -hmm. favorites. I've worked with them for a long time. They source super high quality coffee directly from the producers, really sustainably grown. For stuff like MC, like we use MCT oil in our products. Uh, we use only like C8 MCT oil, which is like the best mm -hmm. out of the four lengths of MCTs. Incredible. I would say many people think that that doesn't make any sense because like we don't actually say that in the label. Uh, few people would know it, but for us, it's more about a philosophical thing where it's like, if you can use a better ingredient, then we should, um, and not essentially make compromises there. I absolutely love everything you were just saying. And by the way, uh, that's, I mean, it's like, um, people love Apple products, but they don't realize how much time, energy, and money it's taken to simplify, to get the best of all of that they're trying to do. Um, to take away from the Starbucks coffee market from a health standpoint, to take away from the functional um, health to make it better tasting, you know, and then of course, by the way, we're also gonna make sure that you have the effects that you need and reduce the consumption. I mean, <laughs> that is one hell of a balance to, to make. So a lot of kudos to you guys for doing that. Um, and that. And I like the fact that you're saying, yeah, you know, so, it should be automatic that we source the best ingredients and constantly looking for it um, while at the same time, you know, making sure not to overwhelm the public with all the things that they don't really want to know because this is all that they really care about. So you're building this kind of like you like it because of what we have, you know, put forth in front of you and with all the right intentions and ingredients possible. I mean, and that to me from a, a, again, from a branding marketing standpoint is what creates longevity and sustainability in any sense of the, uh, uh, of a business, um, trust and community. Right. So that's phenomenal what you guys have done. No. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, what we wanted to do is, is sort of mainstream a lot of the ingredients. Yes. And I think when, when you look at the, the adaptations that we're using, one of the things that was very important to us when we started off of working on this. Um, and, and just getting back to kind of the beta testing, we beta tested this formulation. We had like, I don't know, maybe 50 different versions of this formulation. And while we were beta testing this and, and getting it out into the market and, and kind of like trying different things and trying it out with uh, different people at these startups that we were selling to, um, we realized that it's really easy to make terrible, terrible formulations. Mm -hmm. Like we made a lot of really bad ones early on that were sort of like, you know, the thing that you would read about, you'd read some scientific studies, you'd be like, oh, cool, let's just throw five of these things together and put it all into one and put it into the coffee and drink it. And you can make things that make you feel like actually like way worse than regular caffeine will make you feel. And um, at some point we sort of like sat down and we're like, no, 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 we need to reset. We need to rethink, like, what is our goals here? Our goal is stealth health. Our goal is to like make people feel um, phenomenal. Uh, and so we, we sat down and reformulated with things that are only plant-based as well as things that have been consumed by humans for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. L-theanine is naturally present in tea leaves. It's present in green tea and matcha in greater quantities than, than black tea, but it's still present. And it's, it's one of these phenomenal substances that when you with amino acids, you combine it with caffeine and the caffeine from coffee, you just get this, this really like magical feeling. Um, ashwagandha has been used in Ayurvedic medicine for thousands of years. Lion's mane, cordyceps, and, and reishi, the functional mushrooms, have been used in traditional Chinese medicine also for thousands of years. Um, but And when you talk to people who consume them with traditional Chinese medicine, they're generally consumed as the thing by itself. And so it tastes like really bitter, really, really awful. <laughs> and so for us, when, when we were working on this and when we were beta testing, sort of our, our North Star was like, you know, has to taste absolutely delicious. And so you can't taste the mushrooms in our coffee. You can feel them, you will drink the coffee and you will feel different. Um, you will feel elevated, you'll feel focused, you'll feel fantastic, but you won't be able to taste that sort of like earthy mushroomy taste um, that you find in a lot of other coffees. And this is 
kind of what Kel was talking about in terms of like yeah. how we source the ingredients and how we source the extracts and how we sort of like mix them in, um, where we spent a lot of time, um, both, both Kel and, and our food scientist, Paolo, spent a lot of time working on that and getting it to the point where, it, you know, whatever we make is going to taste like the, the best version of that thing. And it's going to feel like you've, you know, eaten these, these bitter mushrooms, but you haven't. Right. So this is all, it's all about mainstreaming. It's all yes. about kind of like making, making it easier and, and more acceptable for people to try these products. These are, you know, it's, it's lion's mane on the label. You know, the, the first question somebody asks is like, did you harvest this from like an organic lion? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's people don't quite, you right. know, aren't right. quite familiar with all of these things and they shouldn't need to be yes. to consume the product and get the benefits. That's it, again, such a delicate balance. You're right because you're going from mainstreaming um, with a product that is good for all and highly competitive to the ones that, that already exist on the market for them to consume better tasting and better ingredients but they obviously weren't already caring about the ingredients or they wouldn't be consuming the crap that they were <laughs> previously consuming. So it's a, yeah. it's, it's a very, I, I give a lot of a credit for that. And this kind of leads into this next question I want to ask because, you know, um, tech background, I, obviously, you know, Cal with having a little bit of both and, and well, really actually both of you really having both uh, in a lot of ways just because of your passions. Um, but um, approaching uh, a CPG for those listening. I mean, uh, most people know, but just in case, you know, consumer packaged goods type of a product, right? Going from a product and um, scaling this and or even applying a lot of the same things you learned from the the tech background. You know, Michael, if you want to lead on this question, of course, um, you know, what are you noticing um, as uh, similar and different um, in a lot of ways? Sure, that, that's a great question. Uh, I think there's there's a, definitely a lot of things that are different. Right. <laughs> um, one of the key differences is if I want to scale my product to a million people, uh, I need to make, you know, let's say a million plus cans of coffee. I need to get relationships with distributors. I need to get relationships with grocery stores and retailers and all of these things. And then like actually get the physical products in place to make sure that when those million people walk into where they expect to buy their things, you know, the coffee is sitting there right in front and then do all the marketing work to, you know, remind people what it is and convince them to buy it, et cetera, et cetera. Very, very different to scaling the software world where, you know, you spin up another server and suddenly you can support a million more people. So I think on, on the scaling distribution side, kind of so many, so many differences. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is much harder to scale CPG businesses, but when they hit, you know, it, when it works, it works really, really well. Um, on the kind of the, the things that we took from, from software. So one of the things that I did when I was at Facebook was uh, I worked a lot on the AB testing frameworks and the mm -hmm. AB testing platforms, uh, especially on, on the native mobile apps. And Facebook was sort of like, you know, known in the early days for just, you know, live testing on humans. And it's great Imagine when you that. can do live testing on humans uh, at, at scale, because, you know, like a tiny, tiny test universe for Facebook is like 10 million people. That's like the smallest kind of test universe that you could spin up and like get, you know, what they call statsig, statistically significant data. So, so when Kel and I first started working on the coffee, I was like, you know, we both got really, really excited about the idea of, you know, A-B testing for CPG products and A-B testing for the real world. And when we, when we started beta testing, you know, we were starting selling to uh, companies in San Francisco and there were paying us for product development they're paying us to build the brand we would change the, the kind of the, the packaging like every two weeks they were paying us for channel development you know we were building out and and growing and they were telling their friends about us and so for us this was just kind of like magical it was it was phenomenal and we were we were learning so many things and so i remember there was a point sort of i don't know maybe six months in and i turned to Kel and was just like why didn't everybody do this <laughs> why don't why don't like more cpg companies actually like beta test with like real live humans and like, you know, the understanding is not a finished product, but you should try it and then give us feedback and let us know. And I think that for us is, is really the, the thing that we pulled most. That was sort of the like software inspired part of what we do, um, where it, it was funny in the early days of Facebook mobile, our iteration speed, the turnaround time was basically three months because we would build the, and I'm talking about the iOS app, we would build the iOS app 
and then we'd submit it to Apple to go through their app store review. And anywhere from between, you know, a month to three months later, they would come back and be like, yes, it's passed or no, it's not. And so this is, you know, super slow iteration times. And for us, it was like, you know, two to three weeks, we would be sold out every two to three weeks and we'd be producing every two to three weeks. Um, and so we were able to iterate really, really quickly in the early days and, and kind of really, really rapidly. You know, I, and then Cal, I want to hear from you about what you're noticing with the similarities, but I had, I had to throw this out there and I think it, I remember this conversation was when um, I had Brad Feld of Techstars, you know, on, on and uh, mm-hmm. it's funny when he said, why come in here? We were talking about that. Um, but humility, that's why I think in the CPG world, um, the ability, I, I think it's great to get out in front of um, customers and be like, can you try this? Tell me what you think. I would love to hear yeah. like what you think here. And um, the not being attached to the outcome. I feel like your background in tech, which was like, I create it, you test it. I create, test, create, test, create, test. And that's how we pivot very lean startup mode, you know, which I've always been a fan of. I need you to tell me what's like good and bad about it. And that takes a lot of like detachment from, you know, the, the idea. I think that a lot of big CPG brands and just brands in general, um, you know, they get a little bit attached more of the corporate. It must be perfect. It must be this. It must be that. I'm like, or you could grow with the people that you're actually catering the product to. And right. we could just like really literally ask them. I mean, that's why I thought the power of social media when that finally first came out and I was helping some of the, these other brands I'm like, well, what happens if this? I'm like, oh, perfect. You can actually ask them for their feedback in front of everybody. And now they're brand ambassadors because you care about them. So I, I think that, that that's incredible that you did that. And it's but I think it's also, yeah, humility and ability to be like detached from the outcome and more interested in, in the natural curiosity of, um, you know, hey, I what? can you just tell me what you like and don't like, you know, uh, that way we can like, you know, pivot it. <laughs> so I love that you brought that up, but Cal, I would, I'd love to hear your take as well, what you're noticing in the, the similarities, the differences and, and the use cases for, for tech, all these things. Yeah. So how we kind of got started was <clears throat> some of the first ideas. And even before Michael and I met, I started posting YC has like a pretty active forum for all the founders. And there's like a few thousand people at this point. And so it was like, hey, I'm working on designing better coffee. Do you want to be a beta or like alpha tester at that point? And then like a few hundred people signed up and I started talking to them, started making some samples and just shipping them to people and just getting feedback really rapidly. And then the great thing about being an SF like pre-pandemic was that, uh, you know, you had all these tech companies who have people who love coffee. And so as Michael was saying, we just started making these cans and putting them in fridges and these tech companies and just basically standing in the kitchen and, and seeing when people discovered <laughs> the product and, and how they were talking about it. And that's kind of where the phone number came from. So if you've seen the can, mm-hmm. uh, we have like a massive mm-hmm. phone number in the front. And, and as Michael mentioned, it was my phone number in the beginning. Yeah, and it was, was, like, that, was yeah. that was not cool. I <laughs> <laughs> will tell you why. Yeah, like the genesis was that these were all like my friends. And I was like, I just... I was designing the labels. We were being like super scrappy and it just put my phone number and I was like, text me any feedback, text me when you want to order more. And then people started doing a lot. And I started getting just a bunch of text messages from companies and people were like, Hey, I found this product in our fridge. It's really cool. Like what's the deal with this? <laughs> and then at some, my, at some point, Smart. Michael was getting a little jealous. Uh, he uh, thought it was a super like jealous, a elaborate dating strategy to get mm-hmm. my number out there. So I was single at the time didn't work i'm not you know commenting whether that was the intention or not but um <laughs> eventually we you know moved to like a shared number and um kind of the idea there is that also this like concept that i've been thinking for for a long time where coming from like a hospitality barista background so much of the coffee experience is connecting with a real human yes. and not just mm-hmm. the product itself i would you know if i had to choose one i would actually say the hospitality is more important Yet with most CPG products, like you kind of have to productize, you have to have a packaged product to be able to scale it to a point where we can positively impact the lives of millions of people a day. And so how do you balance this? And so we sort of land on this idea we call scalable hospitality, where if we put our phone number and you can text us and you can chat with a real human and, you know, we'll never ghost you, we'll always text you back. We'll, you know, answer any questions you might have. If you want to hear a joke, we'll tell you a joke um all of this stuff and so that's something that we could scale and we can build some tools and technology around augmenting humans 
or augmenting that hospitality and that human connection rather than trying to replace it. So internally, we've actually built a system where we have like real humans replying to text messages sort of all day that people text us and it's actually become this awesome channel for us. And it's kind of really different compared to other products. And, you know, if you look mm -hmm. at a Coke bottle has like um, a phone number somewhere in the back, that's like the tiny number that like Michael calls it the number of last resort, essentially, where it's like, <laughs> you know, you can call between the hours of 11 a.m. So and, and 1.30 p.m. on weekdays if you got poisoned by this product or something like that. And so they really like try to minimize the like they don't. It's the opposite of inviting you to connect. Whereas we're like, well, what if we put this number in front and like invite people to connect with us um, and actually build these relationships? And, and then sort of our hypothesis, which we're now seeing coming true is, or was that that way we can build these relationships and ultimately sort of longer term uh, customer value um, through that. It's incredible. I, I So I have a question and if you feel comfortable answering it, um, you know, um, because obviously, you know, there's the side of you guys are doing this because there's a passion and you're fulfilling a need in the market. Then on top of that, um, you know, it's also creating a profitable business, doing ethical business, which is what you're doing and building community. And this is where I'm going to kind of lead with this. You're absolutely right about the Coca-Cola's and the other companies of the world. And what do the big behemoths do? They look out for guys like you that are doing so incredible. And they're like, thank you. We'll pay you a billion. You know, that's that. And I know that that's hard to turn down. I get it. I get it. Um, I'm hoping, I, I'm curious what your take is because how you're building this as a sustainable community, and, and I'll tell you why I'm saying this, but how you're building this as a sustainable community and that, that touch that those companies are missing and have been missing for a long time and instead use the last resort number and all those other things. Um, sometimes I feel like they got lazy and that's why they have the acquisition strategy, which is like, oh, we'll just grab these guys and their communities and all that stuff. And we usually see what happens when that happens. I'd like to see the reverse happen. I'd like to see these type of companies like yours overtake and kind of set the new standard for how business is done and how marketing is done and how community driven brands are done and all of these things. How do you, you know, I don't even really know where that question goes. It's sort of like, would, you know, what do you, do you, do you see creating this for the long? I know that's a hard question, but do you see creating this for the long-term sustainability of like, well, we love this and we'll, we'll, we'll run it for as long as it makes sense. Um, but how do you manage that you're building a very, very strong community that's actually relying on that model that you've created that if there were an acquisition from some of these other kind of brands, that's not normally their style. Do you, you know, do you guys even think about that for an exit plan, a, a, you know, a succession plan or anything like that? Or like, or no, you know what, we want to see where we can go with this and the only way we would ever merge or do anything else. I, I ask because like, it's clear that what you're doing is incredible. That's why I actually see like the love and it's so smart. And I almost kind of worry out of like the, the, these big boys that just come in and gals that come in and are like, thank you. And then the whole reason it became successful is almost kind of like shelved. You know what I mean? what are your thoughts about all of this? And again, like, you know, I would never, <laughs> you know, I mean, cause we all want to, we want it to be an Uber, Uber, Uber success massively because of what you're doing is so important, but without losing what sometimes big companies can do if they were to acquire it. Right. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot there. Um, I, I will start a response. And, okay. You know, Kel, Kel can finish it because okay. he, he, he's definitely like a, a good finisher there. Um, you know, I think we set out to build this business for the for the long term, and we set out when we when we started working on this, we wanted to do you know create products and drinks that we would drink every single day. Right. And the you know the very exciting part of all of this is that I drink our products every single day, and I love it. It you know, and and we are two of the most critical people I know. <laughs> so from that perspective, I feel like, you know, we're, we're sort of scratching our own itch and have, have done a reasonably good job. In terms of the, the growth and the success and where we go, like obviously we'd love to grow this um, as much as we can. We'd love to see Tiger become an independent company. I think as a, as a stealth health brand, we see that there's so many opportunities to create stealth health products 
which would compete in their category and be able to win and succeed in their categories. That said, you know, I think we're, we're focused on kind of the, the kind of the, the short term now and we're focused on, well, we're focused on the long term, uh, but we have to keep our eyes yes. kind of like on, on the road, the immediate road ahead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, our goal is to be an, an amazing beverage brand. We, we do want to be open. We do want to be transparent. Uh, and, you know, I will say that, that to your point, I think there's sort of like this crop of new uh, CPG companies yes. that have significantly different values. I think yes. there's a lot of companies out there. There's a lot of kindred spirits um, that, that we see in the marketplace that are sort of trying to take on the status quo and, and succeeding in many ways and, and helping people, you know, change their minds about you know, what, what a, you know, a, a water should look like or what cereal should taste like, or what cereal should be and how healthy it should be. And, and I think that's, I think that's fantastic. I do think that, that, you know, one of the, the kind of what happened with COVID, one of the peace dividends of sort of the, the COVID-19 pandemic is that people are starting to care a lot more about their health. People are starting to think a lot more about what are the behaviors that they can change to improve their lives longer term um and there's a lot of products that have started emerging in the last few years which are significantly improved alternatives to a lot of the things on the shelf and i think where we're going where we need to go is it's it's not enough for these products to emerge it's often not enough for them to be available dtc on the web for everybody it's like they need actually become assimilated into people's lives and what that means Mm -hmm. is distribution that means they need to be available where regular people shop, where people go. And and we're starting to see that. So for example, that that amazing, you know, functional soda brand, Alipop, is starting to get great distribution in a, a lot of different areas. Um, you know, I think there's there's a whole lot of other companies out there that are doing incredibly well and that we, you know, we're all rooting for. We want to see them succeed. But it's you know, I feel like the the big CPG companies are definitely paying attention. Oh yeah and definitely thinking about what would happen. And yeah, I think that the natural outcome for a lot of these things is potentially acquisition. But the, the question is, would it be a, an acquisition in a way that sort of like destroys the actual product, which is not necessarily a successful acquisition, or an acquisition in a way that takes the, the product or the category to, to new heights. And, and I think both of those things are possible. Right. It, it depends on, on the company and the acquirer. No, that's it's it's a very well put, and and then I want to hear from Cal as well, and I, you know, and I asked, and it's very well answered because like it is, it, it's tricky, right? And you're right because it's sort of like, well, how do you, how can you affect change with some of these companies, unless you get in there, and of course you can also set your terms in a certain way that probably hopefully helps elevate their game. You know, I just I always I kind of think about, um, you know, as I learned a lot about like conscious capitalism and, you know, like they have like a lot of the different um, uh, communities in around the country. And I think now around the world, a few of the ones that are here in, in Phoenix, Scottsdale, they were showing me some really interesting statistical data. And this is a few years ago where they're like when you're actually doing the right integrity, the right values, the right um, approach to your products, your services, your um uh, employees, your customers, like all, all across the board, which it's a no brainer to me, but like you have to kind of use data sometimes to show <laughs> some of the people who have been playing a little bit more of the old school way. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. And you show them like, Hey, are you realize that it's higher retention, higher profitability, higher productivity, you know, even better output, better efficiencies, better health, better mental, you know, there, does that like, do those numbers look, you know, good enough for you to like actually maybe reconsider how, um, you know, we, you know, actually approach products and services. Um, and uh, so it's fascinating when you look at the data on all of that. Um, and, you know, you brought up your point. It's like, you know, some more more companies that are kind of elevating their game um, and doing it from that or, or newer CPG, CPG companies that are, you know, coming in with those values and those morals and things like that. Because, uh, I mean, I just think it's just a natural thing to do. But like, I get that, you know, that's not always been some of the business practices in the past. So that's why I asked that. But Cal, I'd love to get your take as well, too. Yeah, so I think a a number of things there. Um, I think kind of getting to the conscious capitalism and and kind of doing good good by doing good. um, As like one of our lead investors is Obvious Ventures, who was uh, one of the first backers in Beyond Meat, for example. And their kind of whole thesis is that even if you look at it purely capitalistically, like how do you maximize the return? 
the best return for an investment, like the best way to do that is actually investing in companies that don't just optimize for the highest financial return. Whereas you can, you know, if you actually solve a meaningfully large problem, then that's going to also create the best returns. Yes. And that's kind of how we think about it. Like it doesn't need to be either or. I think we can do both. Yes. Um, I think if we focus on maximizing, like how I like to think about it is that our goal is to, you know, not make the most amount of money. Our goal is to positively impact the life of a lot of people. If that means that we can help them avoid these chronic diseases, um, live a lifestyle where we replace sugar, they live a healthier and longer lifetimes. Like one of his ideas that we kind of have jokingly or, or thought about is like our customer lifetime value is basically how many years we extend their lives. Mm -hmm. And if we help somebody live longer, thanks to our products, they'll probably keep buying our products for a longer time. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Retention. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> and so then the metric of how well we're doing that is the financial success. Right. So obviously right. you want to build a business and we believe that the best way to create this lasting sort of successful, um, positive impact is through a sustainable business. So obviously we'll need to make money, um, yeah. to be able to do that. And then coming back to the bigger CPG companies, you know, the advantage that something like Pepsi has is, is distribution. Yep. They have trucks all over the country. They like literally own the shelves and these convenience stores and they stock them. And it can be really hard to get there without that. And, you know, in, in the world of CPG, that's like an extremely high barrier of entry to try to build your own distribution and compete with these legacy players. And so, you know, I don't think there's really a viable path around that necessarily. Like D2C will scale to a point for something like beverage is obviously tricky. Uh, I think we can scale it to be a much bigger than we're at now. Um, at some point, it will be more about, as Michael pointed out, like having the products in the places where people are already used to buying them. So, you know, I think it's the balance of playing within the rules or, or you know, just how the game is while focusing on the areas where we can have an unfair advantage and we can where we can kind of create this um you know value where these bigger legacy companies don't and for us mm -hmm. you know one of the things is that sms platform where we can have these direct connections with you know tens of thousands of people um own the kind of this customer channel get this rapid feedback and essentially build it to a point where we know we can scale this experience like i as like a sort of a food person I love sort of small independent places like fine dining stuff to, you know, taco trucks. I also love Sweet Green and Shake Shack. Um, you know, it's awesome. I can go to New York, I can go anywhere and I know, you know, what I'm gonna get. And is Shake Shack gonna be the best burger I've ever had? Probably not, but I can trust that it's gonna be, you know, a really solid burger. And same thing with something like Sweet Green. And so I think that's kind of the sweet spot we're looking for where with Taika, you know, you can get a great product and you text us, you're going to get, you know, a great interaction. It's not going to be the same as going to a, your local coffee shop, uh, hang out with this barista you've like known for years, but we can do it at a point where it's a sweet spot between scale and quality. Mm -hmm. And I think that with that, we can, you know, really scale to a bigger point uh, when we do it in a smart way and, and build technology to essentially augment that rather than replace it. I, I love it. And, and yet another good point too on your part, right? With the um, legacy players and how they own the distribution, you know, um, I, and, and that's why I think um, where, and maybe Michael, you could probably really relate to this too as well, but like, I think that's where um, what I've enjoyed the most about online and social is a different form of distribution, you know, where it broke, it decentralized distribution in a different way obviously it, it's you know still in a digital world not necessarily in a physical world where you need logistics and stuff like for transferring product but my oh my when you do own you know your own distribution channels well quasi own them obviously you don't want to be shut down but <laughs> if you have your list and stuff but in taxing but when you own this new level of distribution um to your point cal about bringing up um you know definitely does create a new form of leverage um that you know yeah, you may have this, but we have that, <laughs> you know? So, uh, uh, and so I love that you brought that up. And then um, uh, there was another point, but uh, I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> so, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll remember, but um, what what do you guys have coming up right now? Like what's, what's next at this current stage that you guys are in? 
Michael, you can go first if you'd like, or yeah. Um, yeah, so, so what we're doing next is uh, we have a new product that's coming out probably in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's uh, another kind of canned beverage. It's going to be absolutely delicious. If your listeners would like to uh, get on there, I think you can text us and just say that you want to be added to the list. Uh, we're going to kind of give uh, all of our, all of the people that text us are basically outsourced brand ambassadors. They're just mm -hmm. like giant fans. And so we give them sort of like an unfair advantage on getting early access to products. So if uh, somebody wants to, to get on that, they're welcome to do that. Uh, and then, you know, there's a whole bunch of other products that we're looking at uh, launching uh, kind of later this year and early next year. Uh, but really the, the kind of the goal for us is to expand on, on what I was saying earlier, which is distribution, which is we want to be uh, available in more places to more people. Uh, and so the goal is going to be to expand our distribution. Right now we're in uh, San Francisco, LA, uh, and we have kind of a handful of stores in New York. Uh, but really the goal is to kind of like deepen, deepen distribution. And if people want to find us and people want to get a type of product near them, um, it should be really, really easy for them to do that. So that's kind of like a, a short and long-term goal. Nice. Cal, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that pretty much sums it. <laughs> I think one point that I, I wanted to make is that I think a lot of CPG companies are really more of marketing companies yes. and often outsource the product development. Mm -hmm. For us as, as kind of product people, and, and as Michael pointed out, like definitely probably the most critical people <laughs> we know. <clears throat> I think we'll, how we see it is that we can build this like, you know, unfair advantage by actually getting really good at developing these products and testing them. Mm -hmm. So we decided to invest pretty heavily in, in doing the product development ourselves. We have a full-time food scientist, um, this guy Paulo, who has like over a decade experience formulating a ton of like really successful food products. And so as a result, we've like created our own plant milks, for example, that we use in the products. And we have like a lab where we do all this stuff. So we're just continuously testing and, and churning out kind of new products and coming up with some really cool ideas, uh, you know, where we can like launch them a lot faster than some of these bigger legacy players can and kind of turn that into a really fun community building tool and doing these limited um, release drops. We had a seasonal flavor coming out this fall that I'm really, really excited about. It's incredible. I, I, before I forget, and then I want you guys to say where everybody can find you guys as well as well, the number, and then we'll put everything also in the, the show notes as well, too. I remember what it was. And that was when you were talking about like, well, if we are also providing a product that helps ex potentially extend their life, what great retention. And it's funny because I, I, with one of my mentors, I've had this conversation all the time. It's like, you know, nowadays you can actually do the, the like, it, it seems like logic if I take care of the people really well using the products that are more preventative based, I'm not going to pick an industry, but you know who I'm going after. <laughs> like they provide things that suppress the health versus you could actually be more involved in the industry in a different light where you're providing from a preventative. And I was like, isn't that ironic that you can pay, that you can make even more money doing the right thing for preventative type things that last the lifetime for sustainability and you're doing good and you're making a shit ton of money if you want. It's okay to make money from doing right things versus let me suppress people or lose their trust, have like a very small people who are really, well, it's actually a lot of people, but mostly the US, dependent on these products that keep them sicker and all this other stuff. And it's so ironic to me because I'm like, you know, and then you spend more money on marketing than research and development and doing really great products, but instead keeping them very unhealthy versus over here, like doing right by people, long-term sustainability, long-term productivity and long-term retention. Like I, I don't understand no. why that's, you know, and I get it because that's more, I think of a mental, spiritual, generational thing going on uh, at that time as well too. But um, it just, it, it dumbfounded me, you know. It, it's like <laughs> bizarre to me when I moved to the US six years ago. <laughs> I walk into a, you know, what's called a pharmacy or a drugstore, and I see walls of soda full of sugar, which is, you know, toxic. Yeah. Uh, more and more studies showing that. And yeah. to me, that is just so like antithetical of, 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 you know, the concept of pharmacy, where essentially you should go to get better. Yeah. And it's, you know, essentially doing the opposite. 
And I think we're, you know, seeing changes there um, in the brands that they, you know, bring in as well. Uh, like, for example, our friend's brand, Ugly Water, which is sort of a, a better version of LaCroix, just launched at all the CVS locations. So mm. basically they have this like soda flavored sparkling water that are like really fun and, and tasty and it's like cool seeing these um, changes. But I think that that sort of... Um, talks about the status of it and i think these big legacy players are starting understanding that this is where the you know tide is going or and then where the world is going to be moving and, and sooner or later they're going to have to take action that that's exactly and i love the fact that you know like you said and with you guys community and texting leverage i'd say go to these satellite markets get so much demand and so much community outreach that these people have no choice but <laughs> to bend somehow to get you somehow working with them that you know, it's sort of like uh, we're carrying the leverage. That's where I, I don't know. I just I'm big on what we can do with the Internet and community and all these things. And you guys are doing an incredible job through uh, the the number. Do you want do you want me to say or do you guys want to say it or the, where they can, you know, text you directly at? Uh, you can say, it, of course. Yeah. Okay. So, well, so everybody, yeah, I, I feel like I, I did, you know, no justice there. So everybody listening, family, listen, 415-212-7711, um, plus one, if you're, you know, not in the U.S., but 415-212-7711, um, you can get in touch with them and then you'll go right into their system and be, you know, early to know about all the products, taika.co, T-A-I-K-A.co, uh, and then it's T-A-I-K-A on Instagram anywhere else they can get in touch with you guys do you i mean I maybe don't want to give out you know your or maybe your personal instagram or anything like that but any other places that people can find you or, want, or engage with you guys that you want to know about them know sure about? you can you can find us on twitter it's at taika coffee mm -hmm. on twitter and yeah feel free to you know reach out let us know you can send us an email hello at taika.co and somebody will respond probably one of the two of us no problem. And your guys' personal address, they can come find you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> uh, incredible. Guys, listen, I really, really, truly appreciate having you guys come on the show. Um, and I know our global audience really appreciates it, too, especially for how you guys are doing things. I, I think it's um, it, it's highly appropriate. And these types of activities should be celebrated more, both in business and in health. So really, really appreciate it. And um, I always tell all the guests, it's a journey-driven podcast. So you're more than welcome to come back on the show in the future. Um, talk about like what you're learning in, you know, in route with the journey of building Taika or just in general of like industry, marketing, tech, business, whatever you guys want. Um, we're always ever evolving. So you guys are welcome back on anytime. Thanks so much, Matt. It's been awesome being yeah. on. We'd love to be back. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Sit tight. We'll, we'll connect you in just one second offline. But for everybody listening... Michael Sharon, Cal Freeze, taika.co, T-A-I-K-A.co. You can also text them. I'm going to keep reiterating that. I'm actually going to do this here in a minute and place my order. 415-212-7711. Um, it's literally on their can, and that's genius. I absolutely love that they do that, and they're all about the community. Um, thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. It really, truly means a lot. Uh, and you know the feedback has been incredible. And, of course, thank you for leaving five-star reviews. Um, you know, some people have asked and they're like, Hey, do you need one? I'm like, listen, anytime you have to ask, believe me, please feel free to submit it. Apple prefers it apparently <laughs> for the discovery of the show, but uh, I've been really grateful for all of the, the reviews and the over 6 million downloads. Thank you guys so much. Really, truly appreciate you guys. And we're out.